Turn to Revelation chapter 22, and today, our Christmas name of God from the book of Revelation is a different name. It's another name. It's right close to the one that we considered. Revelation 22 and verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel, my angelos, my messenger, to testify to you these things in the churches. Now, the minute I read that, my mind goes back to John 14 and John 16, when Jesus gave us the most complete teaching on the Holy Spirit that we needed at the time. And he said that I'm going to send you a comforter who will show you things to come. And he will testify to you of Christ. And he is saying here in the book of Revelation, prophetically, but in the vision to John on that Isle of Patmos, he is saying, I have sent my angel to the churches, remember the seven churches, to testify of these things. An interesting fulfillment of prophecy that it is the Holy Spirit's task to keep on testifying of Jesus and showing us things in prophecy that relate to Christ. That's why the study of prophecy is a very valid study. It's the Holy Spirit's task to show us Christ in the Scripture. Now listen to what Jesus says next in verse 16. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Now read that again. The root of David. That means David came out of me. And I am the offspring. That means I came out of David. Now wait a minute here, you say. How can that be? That's an ambiguous or contradictory statement. Not for the one who just said, I am Alpha and Omega. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. I am the root and the offspring of David. When the little Christ child was settled in that manger at Bethlehem, it was in the city of whom, class? The city of whom? David, according to Micah 5.2. But he was also the root of David. He was the one from whom David came. Now you might wonder how in the world could that be? Now, let me use an illustration. Jeff Gibbons is here, and Jeff Gibbons and Bobby Patterson were the architects on that new building over there. So if there's anything that you would like to see changed, go see Jeff. Right, Jeff? <laughs> they did a wonderful job, and I'm very proud of them and thankful for them. But suppose Jeff got the idea that he wanted to start a church as a layman. And so he fosters the dream for a church. He gets some people together and they start a Bible study. And out of that Bible study comes a congregation. And then out of that congregation, Jeff says, let's build a building. And he designs a building. And now the people have a building. 
And then as he worships in that building, God calls him to be the pastor of that church. How do you like that, Debbie? Is there anything you want me to change about this scenario now? Okay. Are you ready to be a pastor's wife? Oh, you aren't? You'd rather be an architect's wife? Okay, for the time being. She had to think about that one, pray about that one a moment. Now, he would be the root and the fruit of that church. Do you understand what I just said? He would be the root of the church and a product of the church. That's what Jesus is saying. And notice this. He is saying, I am to John on the aisle in the vision. It's another one of his great I am's. I am the root of David and I am the fruit of David. I am the root and the offspring. I came before him and I came from him. Now that, that is tremendously fraught with significance at Christmas. If I say the name Houdini, some of you will think immediately that it is synonymous with the magician. And so it is. But some of the children in this congregation have never heard of Harry Houdini. How many have never heard of Houdini? You know David, what's that, that man's name on television? Copperfield. You know David Copperfield? I thought that was a novel by Dickens. But anyway, you know David Copperfield. Well, in his day, Houdini was as great or greater than David Copperfield. And one time he went to Paris and he locked himself in a cage and inside that cage locked himself in a, a compartment and uh, a French magician a very proud, cocky French magi magician walked on the stage and said, Houdini, you can lock me up in this box and in this cage and uh, I will be out and I'll prove it to you if the people will come back tomorrow, I will prove to you that I can figure out your trick. Houdini would have himself locked in there and then he would break out in a few seconds. So the next day, this cocky French magician was locked in there. He had bribed one of Houdini's stage assistants to give him the combination of the lock. But Houdini was a shrewd man. As a magician, he didn't trust anybody. And overnight, unknown to the French magician, he had changed the combination of the lock. And on stage the next day in front of all these people, they locked the French magician in the trunk and then in the cage. And the guy tried to get out and the lock combination didn't work. And he went berserk on stage. And Houdini laughed and the people laughed and he was pounding on the side for Houdini to let him out. And Houdini went up to the cage and did the combination and went up to the compartment and did the combination. And then he looked at the crowd and he said, overnight I changed the combination letters to F-R-A-U-D. Fraud. <laughs> and I have unveiled this French magician. He is a fraud. And I fooled him. He was trying to fool you and I fooled him. 
You know, the fact that Jesus is the root and the offspring of David tells me that they're just like fraud was the key to Houdini's trick and escape. There are five letters, J-E-S-U-S, which unlock all the treasures of God for all time. Now, let's look at those for a moment. First, he is the root of David. He is the root of David. Now, that means that when all the prophecies were given, and there were more than 300 prophecies about Christ given in the Scripture, and many prophecies about his birth, but when they were given, there are three things, Dr. A.T. Pearson said, that we ought to look at about prophecy. Three things you ought to test any real prophet. He said, first, did the prophecy unveil something about the future that could not be figured out from mere human wisdom. Secondly, he said, were there details about the prophecy that no human being could have known? Suppose I tell you that in the year 4036, in the city of Louisville, North Carolina, there's going to be a boy born with 13 freckles on his nose and brown hair who will grow up to be president of whatever is left of the United States. And suppose you could see in the future, and that came true. You see, the prophecies about Christ are just as, as exact as that. Thirdly, he said, there must be a lapse of time between the prophecy. So the prophecy is given about David and about the Messiah coming through the line of David, and that could only mean that it was known by God from long before David. And if Christ is God, then he is the root of David. And David came out of the plan and the purpose and the mind and the heart of God. And then in human form, Christ came out of David and his line and his family. Now, let me show you one of the most interesting scriptures in all the Bible about this in Matthew chapter 22. Turn over to it. In Matthew 22, Jesus had just confounded the Sadducees. Remember, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection much. And the Sadducees were a party of, of Judaism, and the Pharisees were another party. So, now in verse 34, the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, and they decided, all right, we will now fool Jesus, Matthew 22, 34. So in verse 41, they gathered together trying to think of some way to show that Jesus was a fraud. And look at what Jesus did. Jesus was proactive. He took the initiative and he asked them this question. Now watch this. He said in verse 42, what do you think about the Christ? about the anointed one, the Messiah. Whose son is he? Whose son will the Messiah be? If you don't think I'm the Messiah, then whose son will the Messiah be? Now, they said to him, he is the son, the son of whom? What did they say? The son of David. The son of David. Now, Jesus said to them, how then does David, in the Spirit, by the work of the Spirit, Call him the Messiah, Lord, Master. Why would David in the Psalms, in Psalm 110, call the coming Messiah his Lord? 
verse 44, and he quotes Psalm 110. The Lord said, David, the Lord, David said, said to my Lord, my master, the Messiah, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. That could only be a prophecy about the Messiah. And David said that when the Messiah comes, he would be his Lord. He would be master of David. Verse 45, if David then calls the Messiah Lord, how is he, the Messiah, also David's son? <laughs> now, there's the heart of it. So that's where Jesus used this truth to confound the Pharisees. David says that when the Messiah comes, he is greater than he, David. He will, and he called uh, the Messiah Lord. And you know why? Because the Messiah is the root of David. He's greater than David. This is more than just talking about the pre-existence of Christ. That's not what we're talking about only. This is the providential pre-existence of Christ. This is the, 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 the wise pre-existence of Christ. This is the planned pre-existence of Christ. That the Messiah would have been eternal was an idea that the Pharisees could not accept. And here at the end of Scripture, Jesus says it again. I am the root of David. I came before him. That just blows my mind when I stop to think. Every time I, I look at the Christmas story, and I thought of that during the Christmas presentation this year, looking at Mary and the Christ child up there, I tried to imagine myself back in Bethlehem and thinking, you know, this little baby is the anointed Christos who has existed from all time. And David came out of him. He is the root of David. And Jesus got the best of the Pharisees because they couldn't answer, because they had ignored this truth that the Christ, the Messiah, would be the eternal God who existed long before David and was his root. But secondly, Jesus said, I am the root and the offspring of David. I came out of David. He is the son of David. Uh, for instance, while you're in Matthew, go to Matthew chapter 1. Look how important this was in the Matthew account. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. Isn't that wonderful how the grace of God works and how Rahab got into the line and Ruth got into the line? And, but the point of this is to show that David was the, son, the father, the ancestor of the Messiah. And then in verse 6, David the king begot Solomon. And as if God hadn't shown enough grace in the line from which the Messiah was born, Solomon had David, uh, I mean Dave, uh, Solomon, by the line of the, the children of the wife of Uriah, begot Rehoboam, and then he goes on to show Rehoboam begot Abijah, and all the way down until you come to verse 16, Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. And the writer of Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is very careful to show that these, all of these ancestors of Christ came through Solomon and came out of David. So that at the beginning of the book of the New Testament, 
And at the end, David is the root. I mean, uh, Christ is the root and the offspring of David. Now go on back to 2 Samuel and you'll see one of the great Christmas prophecies fulfilled <coughs> in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And here's where God promised David that he would bear the Messiah. One day David was um, <coughs> looking around and looking at the beautiful cedar house he had. And the king said to Nathan the prophet, Reverend Nathan, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, and the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. I want to build God a nice house like I built myself. I mean, that's a worthy cause, a worthy idea. But that night, verse 4, the Lord said to Nathan, Go tell David, verse 5, would you, Why would you want to build a house for me? Verse 6, I've never dwelled in a house. I've moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. I've never asked you to build me a house, verse 7. Have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel, verse 7, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why haven't you built me a house? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, I took you from the sheepfold and made you my ruler over my people. Verse 9, I've been with you wherever you've gone. I've given you a great name. Verse 10, moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and not be oppressed. Verse 11, since the time I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house, that he will make your ancestors, your family, your house, an extended family that is unusually blessed. So verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name. Now that immediate prophecy was fulfilled in Solomon who built the temple. He, Solomon, will build a house for my name. Every boy and girl who's a Christian should know who built the temple for the Lord. Who built it? Not David. God didn't let David build it. Who built it? Solomon built the temple. And he said, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. When he builds that house, I will establish the throne of that kingdom out of David's family forever. And I will be his father and he shall be my son. The Messiah who will sit on the throne of David will be my son. And he said... If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men. Any of those who commit iniquity, who follow out of David's line. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. So now Christ at the end of history can say, I am the root and the offspring of David. And through Solomon... Jesus Christ came. You know, when I thought about that, I was reminded of the two times that Jesus mentioned Solomon. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Do you remember how he mentioned Solomon twice? Two times he mentioned Solomon. And um, uh, he talks about Solomon in relation to the lilies of the field in chapter 6. He says, uh, look at the birds of the air in verse 26. They don't sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Verse 28, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was never dressed like these. Now the purpose of Jesus is to show the great glory of Solomon. Oh, he had great wealth. He had kings coming from all over the world. He had anything he wanted. He had great glory. He had great pomp. He had great beauty. Somebody figured if you were to build that temple today, it would cost almost $2 billion to build it. Imagine a building costing $2 billion. And yet Jesus says, there's something greater than the glory of Solomon. And he points it out. Then in chapter 12, he does it again in Matthew. And he points out uh, in verse 42, here is Solomon who had great intellect, had more books than he could ever read. He had kings coming from all over the world to test him, to get wisdom. And he not only had kings, he even had the queen of Sheba. She came and wiled the daylights out of him. Boy, I'd have loved to have been there to have seen that, wouldn't you? In fact, I'd have just liked to have had a whiff of the queen of Sheba because I know what she must have smelled like. But the queen of Sheba came and look at what Jesus, now this is Jesus talking about Solomon. He said, the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now watch what Jesus said. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. What a brash statement for the Christ to make. The Messiah is greater than Solomon, though I am the root and the offspring of David. Though Solomon was enormously wise and enormously rich and had people coming from all over the world, there's coming a day when I will put an end to wars and set up my kingdom and all the kings of the world will bow to me even more so than they bowed to Solomon. And then he makes a statement that either is true or else it puts Jesus in a terribly dumb position. He said, I am greater than Solomon. And either that's true or it makes Jesus a megalomaniac to say he's greater than Solomon. Suppose I walked out here on this platform today and I said, by no Solomon, how wise he was. Did you know I'm a lot smarter than Solomon? What would you say? Ah, 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 right? Suppose I, I would say, you know how rich Solomon was? I'm richer than Solomon. I'm not going to tell any stories about inheriting $15 million, though I did that one time, got myself in trouble here. Uh, uh, but, but one greater than Solomon is here, and you missed him, Jesus said. Why could he say that? He could only say that because he was the eternally preexistent Christ, the root and the offspring of David. Now, let's kind of apply that. What can that possibly mean to us in Christmas 1994? And uh, two wonderful lessons to be learned from this that are so helpful at this Christmas time. First, let's look at this from David's perspective. From David's perspective, God promised that through a son, a temple would be built and a kingdom would be established and somebody would sit on that throne forever. 
Now, David was full of hope for his family. And the Christ child being born and coming was essential to the fulfillment of the hopes of David. And what we learn at Christmas time by this wonderful Christmas statement, I am the root and the offspring of David, is that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the hopes of David. And therefore, you and I can be filled with hope. We can be filled with positive hope. And Christmas is a testimony to us to have hope in everything that God has ever promised. Look at David. He, he lived on hope. He never saw Solomon in all of his glory. He never got to see Christ, the Christ child. David never got to see the temple built, but he never lost hope because of his confidence in God. Christmas is a message that says to us, don't ever give up on your hopes. I've been starting on my 1995 goals and looking at the year and the things I'd like to see the Lord do for me. And in the process, I've been going back and watching my journal and watching my daytimer and all the things I'd written down. I must tell you, folks, I go back and I was so idealistic when I was 26. I mean, I remember when I had my heart attack in St. Louis, Surely would stand there by the bed and say, well, you thought you were Superman for all these years and now you see you weren't Superman. And I thought about that so many, many times. When we're young, we're so filled with ideals and hope. We want to change the world. I remember a young man walked in one day to me and I said, what are your goals in, this, in life? And he said, I'm going to be the governor of North Carolina. Well, I followed that man for 27 years. He's not the governor. He's not even close. He's not even dog catcher. <laughs> and see, one of the great things we face is what happens when our ideals don't become real? And we lose hope. Some of us have high ideals for marriage. And those ideals were crushed, and we just gave up. Some of us had high ideals for a career, and our ideals never came true, so we just gave up. We had high ideals and hopes for love, but they didn't come true, so we gave up. We had high hopes and dreams for our children, but they didn't come true, and we gave up. You know, I am absolutely convinced that one of the great lessons of Christmas is to learn to never stop dreaming, never stop hoping. God is not through with any of us in this building. And no man or woman of faith, including David, who ever lived, saw everything God had ever promised. There will be fruit coming out of my life for 50 years to come if Jesus tarries. There will be fruit coming out of the ministry of Larry White for 50 years to come if Jesus tarries. 
You will never see, don't think all of your hopes have to be fulfilled in your lifetime. They weren't fulfilled in David's time. He never saw Solomon's glory. He never saw the temple. He never saw the king. He, doesn't, he didn't know when he died even of the eternal kingdom. He wasn't sure of that. That's something he had to put in God's hands. And the fact that Jesus is the root and the offspring is a reminder to us that only that kind of a Messiah could fulfill all the hopes of David. And it's a reminder to us never, ever, ever, ever to give up. I was in a certain city in North Carolina not long ago, and I said, how's so-and-so getting along, a pastor friend of mine? And somebody said, oh, he's coasting till retirement. He has sort of given up. <laughs> Man, I want to tell you, the day I give up, you can be fast. Don't ever stop dreaming. God is not through with you. I think that's why Jesus said in John chapter 4, he said, one sows, another reaps, but everybody rejoices. I don't have to see everything God's doing for me in my generation. I don't have to have it right now. I'll never see it in my lifetime. But I live contentedly doing the will of God, knowing that if I never see all my hopes and ideals for this congregation fulfilled, if Jesus tarries, God is Lord and he'll take it right on and fulfill every promise according to his word. Amen? And that's what Christmas says to every one of us. Don't ever quit dreaming. Don't ever quit believing. Don't ever stop trusting the promises of God. That's what this is about. When he says, I am the root and the offspring of David. Oh, there is nothing worse than a crushed spirit. A teenager who tries out for cheerleader and is rejected. And so they never want to try out for anything again. Hey, you're going to be rejected over and over and over again. Cheer up. That's part of life. Jesus was constantly rejected. But God ultimately fulfilled every hope in Christ. So that at the end of time, here he is in that great prophecy of Revelation saying, I am the root and the offspring. Amen. And that encourages me. God is not done with you. God is not through with your family. Don't stop dreaming. Don't stop believing. Don't stop hoping. Don't ever do it. We sing the hopes and fears of all the years are met in him tonight. Well, listen, folks, that's a reality when Jesus is the root and the offspring of David. Now, there are two things, two disclaimers I must issue. One is the hopes aren't always fulfilled in our time. And they're not always filled in our way. They're filled in God's time and in God's way. But don't give up hope. Well, if you don't learn anything from Christmas, learn that. The fact that the Christ child was born and David never got to see him. In fact, back here in Matthew, I think that may be why in verse 17, he said all the generations from Abraham to David are 14, from David to the captivity in Babylon are 14, and from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ, 14. He lists the generations, 14 from Abraham to David, 14 from David to captivity, 14 from captivity to the, to, uh, the birth of Christ, 14 generations. David never saw it, but he never gave up the hope that he had when he died was fully realized. Now that's from David's perspective. Don't ever give up your ideal. 
The other day we were having a group in for Christmas. I forget which group it was. And my workstation in the study had been a horrible mess. All the books from Revelation that I've been reading were out there. Notes everywhere. Unanswered mail. Notes to myself. Write thank you note to this. Half written thank you notes all over. I worked for an hour and a half cleaning that up, getting the pile straight. And Shirley walked in and said, uh, after I'd already done the cleaning up, I had it all cleaned up. She said, uh, you won't have to clean up that desk. It's all right. <laughs> I looked at it and said, huh, I've already done it. That, that, that's it. That, that's as good as it gets right there. It's clean now. <laughs> oh, she said. And I realized what she meant. You know, our ideal, our hopes, our, what we believe is the very best. Don't ever give it up. Don't ever give up on that. Secondly, from God's perspective, something else was true, though. As the root and the offspring of David, Jesus Christ was not only the fulfillment of hopes, he was the absolute specific fulfillment of promise. And from God's perspective, as the root, he was God's plan. Uh, from God's perspective, as the root, David was in God's plan. And everything was purposely fulfilled. Everything. Right down, that's why when you read the Gospels and you see the life of Jesus, the writers say, well, this happened that it might be fulfilled, which said this, particularly Matthew. This happened that it might be fulfilled. For instance, in the Christmas story, do you remember when the news about Herod and killing all the children came? The scripture says in verse 14, he arose, took the young child and his mother by night, departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, out of Egypt I called my son. Every detail. Christ never left any promises unfilled. There was never a single promise about the Messiah, not to Abraham, not to David, not to, not to any of the patriarchs. No promise was ever left unfilled. And that speaks volumes to me. And that is this, that Christmas is a reminder that every promise and purpose of God will be fulfilled. And my job is to find out what God's purpose is and to be content in that purpose and pleased and listen to me. The, one of the toughest things I had to deal with in growing as a Christian was how do I match ambition and contentment. How do I balance those? Paul says, be content with such things as you have. I want to be, I want to know, all right, God, it's your will for me to be married to this woman. Therefore, I'm going to fulfill your purpose in that marriage no matter what it takes. All right, God, it's your will for me to be the pastor of this church. Therefore, I'm going to do anything it takes to fulfill your purpose in that way. And I think at that point right there is where many of us fail in life. We simply don't accept the purpose of God. But Christmas, with Christ at the end of time, time being able to say, I'm the root and the offspring of David. I fulfilled the purposes of God. Christmas is a reminder that's all God expects from you. That's all He expects. He doesn't expect one thing from you that He cannot fulfill through you. He has a purpose for your life. Why? Why? 
is this the age of discontent? Most everybody I know isn't happy with the house they're living in. Half of them aren't happy with the woman they're married to, the man they're married to. They're not happy with the job they've got. They're not happy with the church. You can ring out the razzmatazz and bring out the heavenly angelic cherub choir and somebody back there is going to yawn and say, oh, I'm so sick of this. I'm going somewhere else to church. You can't please people. When will we learn, and that's the message of Christmas, to find out what is God's will for my life? If you're not in God's will, then for goodness sakes, pray about it. Let God show you where you ought to be and get there. Otherwise, quit complaining and murmuring and thank God for that wife of 98 years and love her like she's 22. Amen? Amen. And stop complaining about that job you've got. Sure, the boss isn't perfect, but I can show you 573 people on the west side of Winston who wish they had a job with an imperfect boss. So we learn at Christmas time to be absolutely satisfied with where God has placed us and content to fulfill his purpose. And if it all doesn't work out the way you think it should, hang on. After you're gone, God will go on fulfilling your prayers and fulfilling the promises he made to you. They will be fulfilled in Christ. If we can just learn to grow with contentment, be content with where God's placed you, but never be happy, and not being everything God wanted you to be. That's my motto. Grow with contentment. Let my ambition not come out of greed or pride, but let it come out of, thank you, Lord, you put me right where you want me. You know, if we had just learned that, we'd do away with half the murmurings and disputings. Paul said, let all things be done without murmuring and disputing. And if we could just be content, yeah, I know. I'm not everything you want in the past. Larry, why didn't everything you want in the minister of music, are you, Larry? But hey, did God put him here? If God put him here, I'm going to make the most of it. Amen? If God put me here, I'm going to make the most of it. Sometimes you're not everything I want you to be. Did you know that? But God put you here, and I'm going to say, praise God, we're going to keep growing. Amen? God's never through with you, Jeannie. He's never through with you. If we could just learn at Christmas time to rest in the plan in purpose of God. There on the cross, he's the root and offspring of David. There when the soldiers were gambling for his garments, he's the root and offspring of David. There when, when the Pharisees were making fun of him, he was the root and offspring of David. There when he was in the temple answering questions of the, of the masters of the law, he's the root and the offspring of David. There in Bethlehem, he's the root and offspring of David. He came to fulfill the purpose of God. He did exactly what God wanted him to do. He only had 33 years to do it. Nearly all of us in this room have had more than that. Some of us have had twice that time to do it. But we're not content. Man, settle back and thank God for what he's given you and who you are. Say, thank you, Father. I may not be the root and offspring of David, but I'm, I'm the offspring of Jesus, and that's enough for me, and I'll live forever with him. Amen? That's the message of the root and offspring of Christ. And when I am convinced that I am where God wants me to be, doing what God wants me to do, fulfilling God's purposes as Jesus was, out of that comes security. Out of that comes a great sense of confidence. Man, teenagers, make every year of school the best year of your life. 
Somebody say, what's the best year you ever had? The last one. Tenth grade was wonderful. Eleventh grade was marvelous. The senior year was fantastic. Freshman year in college was incredible. I was away from home. And, and uh, my sophomore year was great. Every year. Why? If we can learn to be content with the purpose of God. I am the root and the offspring of David. And I've always been that. And I'm perfectly content. I may not change the whole world. I won't realize all my hopes in this life. But I'm going to be content to be exactly what God wants me to be. Amen. In a Japanese camp, one of the prisoners was chosen to be the barber. I love this story. And there was a man that had been beaten and beaten and beaten because of his rank. And every other week when he came in for a haircut in the Japanese prison camp, he would come in hanging low like this. And the barber would cut his hair. And as the barber cut his hair, he wasn't allowed to say much to the prisoner because he was a prisoner himself. But he would keep saying, chin up, chin up. He'd trim a little here, chin up. Trim a little here, chin up. Trim a little over here, chin up. The Japanese thought he was telling him how to hold his head when he was getting a haircut. But it was his subtle way of saying, hang on. This won't last forever. And the message of Jesus to John, to the seven churches, and to us at Christmas time is chin up. The hopes and the promises and the purposes will all be fulfilled. Be content in doing the will of God where you are and leave the eternal results to the eternal Father. I want to go home and just sit and rest in the Lord and be contented that I am the offspring of Jesus who's the root and the offspring of David. The fulfillment of all David's hopes and all God's promises. Amen. Amen. Let's stand in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for this wonderful truth of this name of the Lord Jesus. And I pray that you'll encourage us and meet our needs and speak to each of us in Jesus' name. Amen.